The Exorcist 3 brings back original writer William Peter Bly, and ignores anything that insane second movie did in an attempt to create a worthwhile sequel. And this one does have a cult following, so maybe, just maybe, he succeeded. Welcome everyone to Screams After Midnight, I am Peter and joining me as always is Tim. Hello. <laughs> this is a horror movie podcast, <laughs> as that creepy hello may indicate. <laughs> we have been working through the Exorcist movies, we've done the first movie, we've done the second movie, and here we are going to talk about the Exorcist 3, or technically it's usually referred to the full title as William Peter Blatty's The Exorcist 3. So... That's what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> yes, that's what, and this one's got a bit of a cult uh, following. There's like a, you know, a bit of a buzz. You know, there's, there's a, I think I've always heard for the past like twenty years or whatever, the Exorcist Three has its, uh, its, its fans, people who think it's underrated, <coughs> that it's kind of an unsung gem, and the idea that it probably didn't do that well because people saw Exorcist Two <laughs> and didn't want anything to do with the third one, which you can't really blame them for, as well documented in our last Exorcist review. But yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's kind of funny because I don't know exactly when the like conversation about it kind of started. Like I was trying to think because um, I'm not sure when I first saw it, but I, I definitely don't remember it being like highly regarded in the '90s. And then, like, definitely in the 2000s, I think that's when people started to be like, oh, you know what is actually good? Like, you know, Exorcist 3. Uh, and I, I wonder if it was maybe around the time as, like, the, you know, prequels or whatever started coming out. Not the Star Wars prequels, but the Exorcist prequels or whatever. Uh, I don't know if it was around then or maybe more, like, mid-2000s or... I mean, I don't know if anyone would have mistakenly assumed you meant Star Wars prequels <laughs> there, Tim. Uh, like, I mean, movie's not that good, but you know what it is. Uh, I mean, saying prequels does make it sound like the Star Wars prequels, but I think, mm. to be fair, they technically only released one prequel. It's just that there was a second... I mean, we'll get to this, obviously, next time we do The Exorcist, because mm -hmm. we're, we're going to be doing both the versions of the, the prequel, but they made mm -hmm. one decide that wasn't good enough, or the studio didn't want it, and then had a whole second movie made, and mm -hmm. that's the one they released. Obviously, the original version did eventually come out on home media, mm -hmm. but in terms of like you know theatrical release, it was only the uh, the the studio mandated second version that got released. Mm -hmm. So, and there's some studio interference with this one as well, which we'll uh, <laughs> talk about a little bit. In fact, that's why mm -hmm. that if you're going to watch it now. Uh, if you track down like the Scream Factory Blu-ray, you actually mm -hmm. can watch a, a director's cut which mm -hmm. tries to restore it to the original vision. Uh, with a lot of asterisks, though, um, for a start, a lot of the original footage that was redone for the theatrical version is kind of lost, and the only mm -hmm. source for it was like a really bad VHS tape. So, <laughs> it, like, if you, if you I, and I looked up some of the screenshots, it looks very, very jarring because I didn't watch that version. Neither did you. We we watched the, the the full theatrical cut for this because the director's cut, well, it's a nice idea. Um, it reminds me a lot of the Superman 2 Richard Donner cut, and that it doesn't really work necessarily as a full movie. It's kind of like an interesting what-if, and you can see kind of mm. how it goes together. But the, 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 the footage that's not, like, been preserved looks so bad, and then there's other bits that are missing, that are just straight, mm. are straight up missing, that they have to use some of the theatrical cut that 
doesn't go along with the director's original vision that honestly it's an interesting thing that is great you can see some version of it but i would certainly not recommend watching that as your first viewing of the exorcist 3 just just based on uh snippets that i've seen or stills that i've seen of it it's also kind of a weird situation because like usually you you would want to watch a director's cut because mm. the original version kind of sucks <laughs> you'd be like oh wait no the director's cut though actually is so much better but like you know, uh, this is like a, a situation, though, where a lot of people actually like the, you know, original version. Like, I mean, I, who knows? Maybe the director's cut, you know, could be a lot better and stuff. But it's not like, you know, most people are angry with what they got. Like, like you said, it has like a cult following and you know, a lot of fans and stuff. So, yeah, and <laughs> sure. If we lived in a world where all of that original footage was there and it was like properly finished as a director's cut, like, mm-hmm. yeah, sure. I'd watch that and see what the, the original intent was. But, you know, as it is, I think you should watch the theatrical cut. And then if you really like the movie, then, you know, go go watch the, the, the sort of assembly cut, I'll call it. Because I think that's a better description of what you actually get with it. Um, so, yeah, The Exorcist 3 came out in 1990. We're going to talk about it. We'll start spoiler-free, as we always do. Um, although there may be some spoilers for the first Exorcist, just because it, the way it ties to that movie, it's kind of may, may be difficult to, <laughs> to mention it. But uh, we'll give you a warning before we go into spoilers for this movie and uh, we'll we'll get into it the the basic premise of the exorcist 3 is that um there's a serial killer called the gemini killer who has returned after a 15 year gap and he's supposed to be dead uh but there is seemingly some connections between new murders that are happening and the exorcism from the original film and we follow uh the detective from the original film different actor but uh george c scott plays him here but kinderman the royalty oh because of the changeling yes (laughs) What, one movie makes some royalty? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, I suppose that would be true for other movies. I just, I just don't know if the Changeling's <laughs> held in the same high regard as, say, I don't know, like Psycho or Halloween or something with that. Like Child's Play. <laughs> I see why you brought Child's Play up. I, I can see through <laughs> your, uh, your charade there, uh, Mr. Tim. Yes, uh, Brad Dourif is in the movie. Uh, also horror royalty. <laughs> I thought that's what you were getting at when you said child's play. Right, but not everyone at home understood that. I give our audience credit, Tim. I think they could follow what you were doing. Uh, I'm, uh, I think a lot of people understand that I'm playing a 4D chess here and not everyone can follow. <laughs> 1D chess, maybe. I don't, I don't know about 4D chess. Oh, dear. Is regular chess 2D chess or 3D chess? Because I would argue that because the board's two-dimensional, it's, still, it's just 2D chess. The fact that the pieces are 3D are irrelevant. The actual game's played out in a two-dimensional plane. So, like, what is 3D? It's really 3D chess is played in, like, a cube grid. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a great question. And now I'm just imagining, uh, I don't know if you ever played Tetris 64, <laughs> but... Uh, like when that came out, it was like it's like Tetris, but it's all like in a circle, 3D kind of thing, and the mm. shapes are flying at you in space, and you can <laughs> launch a rocket to blow them up or something. I don't remember it too well, but sometimes so that popped into my mind. <laughs> yeah, sometimes the simplicity of the original mm-hmm. ideas will make it work in the first place. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tetris is a great game. Exorcist is a great movie. I don't know what, what else do you want. <laughs> I don't think we'd be comparing the legacy of Tetris to the Exorcist uh, on this review, but here we are. Well, they're comparable. 
had a dodgy sequel. <laughs> then kind of came back strong with uh, mm-hmm. you know later versions. Yeah, okay, mm-hmm. sure. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, I, have, I, uh, the the long the long piece with like the little the 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 piece at the the nub at the end. <laughs> What? <laughs> are you trying to? I mean, are you trying to insinuate that the cross is one of the shapes in Tetris? Because it really is. Uh, similar. It's similar. <laughs> it's not even remotely similar. <laughs> that would make Tetris really hard if there was a piece of that shape. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> all right so anyway uh i, I had mm. seen exorcist 3 once before probably like 10 to 15 Shocker. years ago uh but i'll be honest i didn't really remember any of it i remember george C. scott being in it but like horror royalty <laughs> i you don't have to say it every time he's there comes up. <laughs> but i didn't really remember a whole lot about it so i was actually quite mm-hmm. uh interested in watching it again for the review because i like i don't know if i just didn't give it my full mm-hmm. attention back when i saw it. i don't know if i went in with really low expectations because exorcist 2 was such shit because i probably i probably watched it right after i watched exorcist 2 you know mm-hmm. when, when i first saw it I, I was probably watching the sequels for the first time uh back to back so yeah and it was it, it might have been no nah, no nah, it was probably after the fourth one came out because the fourth one was like mm-hmm. what the mid 2000s i think so i want to yeah. say between 2004 2007 yeah something in that range yeah i think mm-hmm. it was after that so why i never went to watch that maybe just because i thought it looked bad or something but mm-hmm. i never I haven't, I haven't seen either version of the prequels so that's that'll be a new oh, interesting journey when we get to it wow uh, okay. but uh, i assume you'd seen this before as well oh absolutely yeah yeah, but I mean, I, I think kind of similar to you, um, it, it's not one that really stuck out in my mind. Even though, like, I remember liking it. Like, I mean, I, I must have seen it at least once or twice before. I, I can't really pinpoint when though. Um, and there's, you know, there's definitely a, a couple of very memorable standout scenes that like what was lingering in my head. But I didn't really remember like the finer points of the actual story and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of, the, one of the things about doing this show is that there's some movies that maybe I don't give a proper chance to or I don't really pay mm-hmm. attention to as much because I just put them on in the background. And then this, obviously, because I'm reviewing it and we're going to talk about it, I, you know, I, I, I pay attention. I sit and I, I watch. Mm-hmm. And I watch, obviously, there's lots of movies I watch and pay attention to just because I want to. But mm-hmm. this show forces me to maybe, like, pay attention to some movies that I might have let my mind linger from otherwise. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- this is maybe an example where I didn't really give it a full fair shake the first time i saw it so yeah, yeah i was curious i was there was a you know potential here to see kind of some of the magic that clearly the internet and like the mm-hmm. fandom is it sees in this movie so um yeah so we'll we'll get into it obviously the story is kind of crazy as well uh <laughs> and that's something we said about exorcist 2 but there's kind of mm-hmm. a wild story in this one as well probably not quite as wild as exorcist 2 and it's worth mm-hmm. mentioning that this movie at no point it doesn't contradict exorcist 2 i don't think but it never acknowledges anything yeah. that happened. <laughs> you can just believe that the whole Reagan's like a superhero to fight demons things happening somewhere if you want to, but you don't, yeah. you know, and you absolutely don't have to have seen Exorcist 2 to watch this. You can go straight from that to this because mm-hmm. uh, the book, this is based on Legion. Um, you know, it's not called Exorcist 3, the book, you know, it's, it's just a book mm-hmm. called Legion. It's a sequel to The Exorcist and it has a bit of an interesting backstory. I think I read that it was actually developed originally as a script for a movie that William Friedkin was going to come back and direct. But then he dropped out 
So Blatty just turned it into a book, and then mm. then he ended up directing a movie adaptation of the book. <laughs> so <laughs> it's got a, kind of a wild ride to to get to its 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 final form. And then very late on in the production, uh, the studio demanded a bunch of things and changed some things, including having an actual exorcism towards the end mm. of the movie, which wasn't in the original cut. So. Hey, where's the exorcism? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's basically what they did. Uh, there's probably some other things as well, I imagine, but that that was the the, the mm-hmm. big main thing is the ending being very different. So, um, yeah, all right. Well, Tim, what do you think of Exorcist Three? Was that the end of the question? <laughs> yes, that was the end uh, of the question. <laughs> what more did you think was coming after that? Um, baby. <laughs> Since when do I call you baby? <laughs> Oh, maybe just offline. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I, I actually like this quite a bit. Um, I I think there's like a lot of really cool, neat ideas uh, in here. Uh, it's kind of funny, like you're saying that. Yeah, you know, it, it is also kind of you know crazy. Like Exorcist Two is crazy, but in very different ways. Like, and this is it's definitely a much more manageable, uh, entertaining, make sense <laughs> kind of way. But uh, at the same time, yeah, it really isn't exactly what i would you know typically expect from you know an exorcist sequel which you know again like we said um you know it's not a movie that demanded or or needed sequels at all um but what's kind of cool about this is like it doesn't really feel like uh super sequely you know it's like yeah you have like some returning characters and stuff but um yeah i mean just the fact that you know it's it's even kind of called like legion you know sometimes instead of like exorcist 3 like it does feel very much like its own thing but uh there's a lot of really cool ideas here i you know i like the idea of the gemini killer and once we kind of find out uh who he is i thought that was like a really uh neat idea and um yeah i feel like this isn't always the case when you bring someone in to you know direct that uh, i'm assuming this is like his first uh time directing i, I don't I, know if he... i'll click on his name and find out for you but uh yeah. i've never heard of him directing anything else so yeah it stands to reason uh, that it might be the only thing so i mean it, that always feels like a gamble when you're bringing someone in uh that you know <laughs> hasn't really done it before and obviously like you know these stories and these characters are you know probably very near and dear to you know william peter blatty's heart but oh so to answer um, that question he's only directed one other movie and it was a decade before Okay. <laughs> he directed a movie called The Ninth Configuration. Oh, that sounds familiar. Did, have I seen that? Oh, you may have. It's a horror comedy mm. starring Stacey Keach. And it has mm. Jason Miller from The Exorcist in it. It has Scott Wilson in it, who was in this movie. Oh, it even has Ed Flanders in it. There's tons of people in this movie from this, oh, wow. this film. Interesting. Uh, it's kind of um, Yeah, I'll, I'll have to go and take a look at that. I'm not sure if I've seen it or maybe I've just heard about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm actually pretty impressed with his, uh, directing skills. I think he, you know, uh, has a lot of really cool, like good looking scenes here. Just like, um, a lot that really plays with the atmosphere that I, I did think there's, you know, parts in this movie that are legitimately creepy. And, um, yeah, I was very surprised by a lot of the restraint that he shows. Uh, you know, there's probably, you know, one very notable scene that, I think a lot of people that watch this movie kind of take away from uh, that we'll go, you know, into um, detail about. But um, 
and and I'm sure you can probably you know guess what I'm uh, alluding to. It's like kind of like a, a static shot of like this long hallway. Um, mm -hmm. But the the patience that you know it, it takes to do like a scene like that, uh, I, you know, it's it's really impressive. Uh, and then you know, it, I think it, you know it's a very memorable scene that uh, that you know ends up really paying off. Um, so yeah, no, I, I think uh, this definitely you know deserves to have kind of the little cult status uh that it does uh because yeah it, it's very <laughs> entertaining and uh yeah pretty cool i was it, again it's kind of strange that like it's not one that i feel like stays in my head a lot but it's like you know the few times that i have watched it i do feel like i am like pretty impressed by the end of it yeah i again went and kind of like vaguely remembering it but not really having much of a memory of it other than just the one corridor shot because that's something that i remember even before i saw it the first time i remember people saying oh it's got mm -hmm. this one of the best jump scares in movies is an exorcist 3 randomly <laughs> and i think it, yeah if, if you ever watch like any of those i feel like sometimes like around halloween or something they'll have like specials like you know 30 best scares in a horror movie or whatever that's like one that'll usually be brought up yeah um but not really, again, not really remembering much of what the plot is or, or, or much of where it goes. And uh, yeah, I have to say, I did enjoy it watching it and really paying attention to it this time. And um, like, I know, hell, there's some fans that even will stand up and say they like it better than the first movie. I, I don't know if I'm going to go that far, but it's definitely an intriguing premise mm -hmm. that it's the sort of thing where if, I think when we get to the, the spoilers and I describe what's going on in the movie, I think if you said some of that to me at face value i think oh that sounds a bit over the top and dumb but mm -hmm. there's kind of some key elements of it that make it feel quite appropriate i guess so there's, mm -hmm. there's there's a couple of key details that just make it go oh that's not as silly it's actually there's kind of a nice uh demented link <laughs> to the first movie with uh, yeah i don't know there's, there's some interesting ideas um mm -hmm. But no, the direction is pretty solid, and especially after the second movie, which felt like... And it's from a, a director who has made notable movies that people hold in high regard, but Exorcist 2 is like this weird... <laughs> like It's like the director was scratching his art house itch and just doing mm -hmm. lots of weird things for the sake of being weird. This movie, like you say, it shows great restraint. There's a lot of really just quiet scenes that sort of build up. Um, it's very much an investigation movie with the with the the main detective looking into these murders uh quite early on there's a couple of like bits of evidence that suggest a couple things and you sort of i think you get kind of the broad stroke of what's going on quite early but there's a lot of specifics mm -hmm. uh, and the stuff that really ties it into the first movie come later on so now the cast is pretty strong uh mm -hmm. i would say george c scott is a very commendable uh leading man um mm -hmm. a lot of the small roles are, are, are pretty well handled um, I do love a movie that's just like willing, willing to have like its main character just be like this old, out of shape guy. Like he's like breathing so heavily through the movie, but I love it. Like uh, it's a, it's a, yeah. I feel like that's something that you see often. Uh, I think I think it has to be though if you want to say this is this character from the first movie and it's been true. Yeah, yeah. You know. Well, the movie says it's been fifteen years, so I I don't know if it's it's flubbing the original movie to say that took place in nineteen seventy five. Or if this is technically set in 1988. But either way, mm -hmm. one of them's slightly off from the year of release. Mm -hmm. so, that is important, but just, just a minor note. It's been 15 years instead of 17. 
Uh, obviously, the the Gemini Killer. There's even like, it's it's not hard to see a comparison in what the inspiration for this is. Like the Zodiac Killer is clearly, mm-hmm. at least in part, an inspiration for it. Oh sure, right. Uh, but no, uh, it was no, it was good. It was good. I, I I had a good time. Um, and it's interesting reading the differences with the director's cut because like some of them, I'm like, mm-hmm. I could see why this feels like the bombastic thing the studio wanted and how it maybe mm-hmm. ruined some of the nuance of what was actually happening before. But at the same time, mm-hmm. I actually think some of the stuff that was added in works well enough in the movie that I'm not sure mm-hmm. I need it to be uh, fixed, per se. But I'm sure there's some purists out there who'll, uh, mm-hmm. who'll, who'll be sh- appalled at that statement. Yeah. It, it's so funny because, like, it doesn't really feel like a, like a sexy, bombastic, like you know uh mainstream blockbuster kind of movie so it's funny to think of like oh like yeah like you know studio interference stuff like you know the, like the, the only like big examples i can see like oh yeah it is annoying for them like being like no we need an exorcism and it's mm-hmm. not really like the point of this story uh i understand that but i mean yeah like other than that like you know it's not like the like Hey, uh, throwing this topless woman like thirty minutes in, or, or like, oh, uh, <laughs> hey, like let's get some more blood and gore and stuff. Like, yeah, it doesn't feel like the kind of typical studio notes or whatever you would think. I don't know what the studio was like. Hey, like you gotta throw in like this <laughs> this weird little monologue with uh, why he hates a uh, catfish or whatever. And he has one <laughs> swimming in his tub. Like, there's so many like weird little touches like that. <laughs> that like, it wasn't a catfish, they- was it? It was a. Uh... I forget. It's some type of fish. Carp. Something. I think it was a carp. I it began with, uh, yeah, I think it was a carp. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is such a weird thing. <laughs> I don't think that was the like, added for the theatrical cut. I mean, I don't know. I'd have to check the other cut, but I, I don't think that was a studio mandate. There has to be a monologue about joking. a carp in his bathtub <laughs> and how he hates that his mother-in-law <laughs> buys carps alive and wants to cook them for dinner. That would be so funny, though, if like those were the notes the studio was getting. Yeah. Also, George C. Scott's a pretty, mm-hmm. like you say, older guy in this mm-hmm. movie. So the fact that his mother-in-law is still alive is a that's <laughs> true. Yeah, it's quite a test of it. I'm like, geez, how old is she? <laughs> oh man. Um. So, yeah, I you know I think uh, it uses a little bit of the tripler bells at the start, but not much. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of like you know, get you in the middle a little bit for the Exorcist movie, but other than that, it's. It's mostly original score. It's not. It's not a super invasive score. I don't really remember much of it, to be honest. I think yeah. it's kind of mm-hmm. goes by unnoticed. But I certainly never had any problems with anything it was doing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's that. Um, direction solid. Cast is good. Uh, stories interesting. A little crazy mm-hmm. in places, but in a in a mostly entertaining and. Uh, it's definitely. It definitely. F- doesn't ruin the mystique of the exorcist the same way that the second movie kind of does because <laughs> yeah. uh, for for a start like you know the, the word pazuzu is never mentioned in this <laughs> and I, I think yeah. uh that's for the better as well so uh, i appreciate that it's i mean it's nice that like they're not trying to like explain things that like happened in in the first one you know and where they're like not trying to you know because like the second one had so much stuff where yeah like they're talking about pazuzu or talking about like stuff that happened in you know like the the priest pass and like oh yeah like there was another exorcism with this uh you know kid earlier on blah blah, blah. like you know the uh this movie it doesn't it feels like it's you know moving forward as much as it is like you know it, it's not dwelling on all this stuff in the past that's not really that interesting 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I guess Which we'll go... hint is, uh, unfortunately, what they kind of end up going back to, because, you know, the next two ones are like prequels, and... Yeah. <laughs> I never really thought about it, but is it meant to be like a young version of uh, Max von Sydow's character who's in the the, the prequel? Um, th- that's what, uh, from what I remember, I, I believe so. It is kind of like... Father Marin's the character, if I remember right. Yeah, yeah, like chronicling like his first run-in with uh, the demon or whatever. <sighs> <laughs> Joe's worst is that we have to watch two movies for that review, and I'm not happy about it. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be a tough one. <laughs> we, we debated on whether to split those into just two episodes and just do, like, you know, Dominion and the beginning, whatever way round mm-hmm. that they are. Uh, I, I would have said do the theatrical one that got released first and then do the one that got unreleased mm-hmm. or released as a special extra later but uh, i think we're just going to do it as one episode and just because there's going to be so much comparisons to make it It'd make the, the second yeah. one would feel weird it feel like we're probably just comparing it to the first one most of the review so it probably just mm. makes sense to put them together yeah so <sighs> yeah we'll give a spoiler warning for exorcist 3 you have been warned we're mm-hmm. going to get into it um and talk about uh, the, the the crazy plot um so a bit more on the murders. Uh, you know, early on there was a murder discovered of a young, a young boy, a young uh, black kid who's about twelve years old, mm-hmm. um, who is seen in like sort of a dream sequence at the start of the movie. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it is almost like someone is leaving somewhere and going to where the kid is. You know, it's almost like someone's traveling, you know, spiritually towards them. Uh, but he's killed and it's a super, you know, brutal, he's, he's crucified using the oars from like, the, the local college, like, rowing team, <laughs> right? <laughs> Their oars have been used to crucify him, his head's been cut off, he's been stabbed in the eyes, uh, mm-hmm. if, if I, they've also replaced his head with a statue of Jesus, which has had blackface put on it, so it's like super controversial, super, <laughs> like, you know, as, as grotesque as you could probably make it, and... Mm-hmm. Then there's a second murder, which this time is a priest in a confessional booth, and mm-hmm. there's like a, a woman talking to him, and she's basically confessing to murders. And then and, you know, really, it's, this is not like a gory movie, by but you know, for the most part, it's yeah. mostly setting up a bit of tension. Then it's sort of like the the cut to the aftermath, where the, the mm-hmm. detective and the, the the crime scene squad are looking at the case and whatnot. But the big surprise early on is that there's fingerprints found in both crimes and mm-hmm. the detective's like okay so we've got matching fingerprints then and then the fingerprint guy's like uh uh hold that thought yeah not really and immediately like, my, my thought at that point was okay so like different bodies are being used to commit these crimes i you know i'm presuming that whoever the killer really is you know maybe a demon is going mm-hmm. into different bodies to commit the crimes and that's what's going obviously it becomes a bit more complicated than that but that, that was my, my, my immediate thought. Um, and then the, sort of the big one for the, for the main character, for, for Kinderman, the detective, is that his friend from the first movie, uh, the other priest, which interestingly, the director's cut of the original movie, which I watched and you didn't, sort of ends in a way that sort of sets up this friendship because it's mm-hmm. the priest and the detective going off to watch a movie together, which is brought oh, up. Oh, the this. director's cut of the first first movie. Oh, the first movie, yeah. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so that actually sets up this relationship where... They're mm-hmm. going to go watch movies together because uh, that's what he did with Father Karras, who, of course, was the right. main priest mm-hmm. in the first movie. So, um, but he dies in the hospital, right? And he's all got his head cut off. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a Wonderful Life's written in his blood in the wall. 
all of his blood's been removed and put in cups but miraculously there's no spillage anywhere there's not even like a bit of drip coming from the cups it's like perfect like so this is immaculate um, <laughs> so all, all this is like okay okay we've got all these murders he's investigating stuff uh but the real meat of it is when we're introduced to you know when they're looking around the hospital the, the, this this priest was killed in the hospital where he was in the hospital bed mm surely someone saw something there's staff you know around there's other patients Mm -hmm. this is like weird like how can no one see anything and the only person that seems to have been anywhere near that hospital room is an old woman who is you know i don't even know specifically what she's got i don't know if it's dementia alzheimer's whatever but she's this frail old woman in her 80s who can barely Mm -hmm. walk needs help to eat and do anything else and she's in like the, the ward with patients like that um and it's like, this doesn't make sense. But her fingerprints are in the goddamn crime scene. But she couldn't have done it because she physically can't do this. Like, um, like, cause the main murder weapon we find out is this ridiculous big, like surgical, <laughs> like shear that's used for decapitations. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, and well, I don't know if that's what it's used for medically, but that's, that's what the killer is using it for. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's like, this takes like strength to even open it. Never mind, you know, actually snap someone's head with it so it's like how, how, what's going on here could, and obviously i'm still thinking oh it's still you know they're being possessed like this old woman was possessed mm-hmm. and killed them but it was another old person because we see like another old woman like at the church and i was like, okay so she's the one that got possessed before and that's who killed the priest in the church um you know so it's like okay okay this is all coming together but then the doctor played by scott wilson uh who's chain smoking constantly throughout the whole movie like he's like really <laughs> nervous about something he like takes him to the the the, you know, the security ward, the one that has the dangerous patients, and there's like this patient that's teased, uh, who's unknown, who was picked up 15 years ago, who was comatose until he sort of woke up and became violent many years later, and soon after that, the doctor says to the detective Kinderman that this patient <coughs> claims to be the Gemini killer, uh, and this comes not too long after, uh, the detective explains to everyone that the gemini killer was caught and executed that's true but the mo of the killer was never revealed to the press in fact they intentionally released the wrong mo to to wean out people who claim to be the killer but they, they could figure out weren't based on the false information but all of these new killings fit the mo that the exact same fingers cut off the symbols put in the, the palm of the hand where it was in those old killings so this is like bringing up these memories of this like deranged killer from 15 years ago I'm explaining a lot here because it's all all of this <laughs> like, comes to together. <laughs> yeah, so it's a lot comes together. So you you've got these killings which match this mo, but you've also got the idea that it's the killer seems to be possessing uh, different people. At least two of the three were old people from this ward in the hospital, people who would never you'd be suspected of the killings because physically they just couldn't do them. Right, they physically can't. Yeah. Uh, but as we see later, when they're possessed, they they've got super strength and shit so no, no, no concerns there so that's where we're getting to the the big part of the movie which is mm-hmm. this patient x in this room <laughs> is father Karras, or at least looks like father Karras, right it's the actor from the first Whoa. movie jason miller and detective says this and then we have a big scene where he's just in there talking to him and then he switches the actor switches from uh, Jason Miller, Father Karras, to Brad Dourif, who says he's the Gemini killer. And he talks about his old killings. He talks about how he killed these new people. 
<laughs> What's going on in the movie to make all this make some kind of sense? <laughs> Which is explained in the second time that the detective goes to talk to him. Because there's, there's two big scenes where he goes to talk to him in his cell. And he's sitting there in the straitjacket and the detective talks to him. And we get a lot of cryptic things from him. But what's happened here, what we, what is discovered throughout all these conversations, is that at the end of the first movie, when Father Karras got the, the demon out of, out of Reagan, and he went out the window to kill himself, and he went down the stairs, just as he was dying, he was, you know, officially dead, officially dead, and brain dead. This was right around the same time that this, this killer was executed, the Gemini killer was executed for his crimes. Hmm. Pazuzu, although they never say Pazuzu, and I'm just using that so because it's easy to yeah. have a name for it, but the demon, right? Pazuzu mm-hmm. was livid that he had been defeated. He was livid that he was tricked out of Reagan's body and that he was stopped. So he found the spirit of the Gemini killer in the void, as, as the Gemini killer puts it. And he takes that spirit and as a punishment to Father Karras, he put, puts the Gemini killer into Father Karras' body. And he's there for a long time, and the body can't really do anything. But he eventually does get a little better, I guess. That that, that part was a little bit vague. That he, he just got a supernatural spooky. He got better. Um, yeah. But he, you know, at least at the time, he was able to get out of the coffin. He, he, he walked around. <laughs> this is when he was picked up, presumably, as a patient and was comatose for a long time because of how brain dead he was. Uh, but the idea is, is that whenever the Gemini killer, now that he's strong enough to actually reach out and possess other people to commit his murders Father Karras his punishment is that he is witnessing and he's aware that he's doing all this he's actually there to to see all these crimes be committed that's his punishment for stopping Pazuzu in the first movie and that's the part of this that I really like for the record because when I'm describing a lot of this it does kind of sound kind of crazy when you just say it all all out loud it is kind of this nuts premise to a sequel to The Exorcist I, I do think it is nice though to hear it like all <laughs> laid out very like uh you know matter of factly <laughs> because like <laughs> I I don't think that the movie is hard to follow but there is so much going on that um like I I think it it is uh, a little <laughs> easy to get lost at points in it. it. It definitely presents it in a way where it's giving you it's strip feeding you little bits of it and you're kind yeah. of like piecing parts of it together and you're kind of realizing other parts. Um you know, when you meet Father Karras in the cell, but he's talking mm. like he's evil. He's not talking like Father Karras, obviously. Um, yeah. he, he then switches to Brad Dourif, and you're like, okay, what's going on here exactly? Mm-hmm. Brad Dourif's the killer, but Father Karras isn't. It's just Father... Like, because I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, it's like, you know, because I wasn't necessarily convinced it was like his actual body to begin with, but then obviously but yeah. later on, he explains, no, it is his body. Mm-hmm. This was his punishment, and he's still in there. Oh, almost, it's a little get-out almost. It's like Father Karras is in the sunken place. Oh, yeah. And, he, and he's <laughs> witnessing point, yeah. these awful murders being committed. And they are awful. That's... The Gemini killer, you know, Brad Dourif, when he's talking about mm. killing people, he says, you know, one of the things he says is that uh, they say that if you're decapitated whilst alive, that you can still see and experience mm. things for about 20 seconds before you actually properly die. Uh, so he always, like, hold, whenever he decapitates someone, he always, like, holds up their head and points it at their body so they can see themselves, <laughs> just so that they're seeing their own dead body as they die. Which is just, you know, sick and sadistic. It's not nice. <laughs> yeah, it's particularly cruel. Uh, they also point out that he uses this uh, chemical or whatever to paralyze the victims so that they are awake and aware as he's, like, cutting things off and they're, they're experiencing it. Um, and it's a very specific amount because they say if it's too little, it won't quite work, and if it's too much, they'll just instantly die. 
So mm-hmm. it's this perfect amount of this this paralytic to to make them be awake whilst he's like just torturing them and mutilating <laughs> them and whatever else. Yeah. So like so the, the but the part I like though the part I like that I think actually gives it a lot of weight is the idea mm-hmm. that this entity is is so pissed and he still mm-hmm. and this entity still has power just because it's out of Reagan doesn't mean all of a sudden it's this weak thing that doesn't have any like demonic mm-hmm. polar force. So the idea that it, it it did something in the void, you know, it found this evil spirit, this evil person, and put it into Karis's body, so that eventually, when enough time had passed, he would have to like be this passenger for all these horrific crimes. I actually think is a really like evil thing to do, and makes it feel absolutely. I, I don't think this makes the demon from the Exorcist feel silly. This makes it feel like. Because unlike the second movie where the, the demon's still just kind of around in Reagan, but as far as the movie's concerned, it just oh, so they didn't accomplish mm-hmm. anything at the end of the first movie. This still feels like he accomplished something, and not only did he accomplish what he was, he, what we thought he did at the end of the first movie, it's the motivation for the demon to like get revenge, to be pissed. It's like, no, you beat me, so mm-hmm. I am going to like do something ungodly horrific to you. You know, yeah. I, I like that part. <laughs> No, uh, absolutely. Like it's a uh, again. It's it doesn't feel like you know what the you think the typical uh, route you would go down for <laughs> a sequel to The Exorcist. But I I do think like when you kind of sit back and look at it, it's actually like a really really cool like interesting idea. Um, and it's not just the yeah, same thing again. I think that's the other key thing is that it's exactly, very different yeah, yeah. from the first movie. Yeah. Yeah, because I think like you know the and I'm guessing this is kind of what the studio wanted, but like. The easy thing to do would be like just all right, uh, another possession, mm-hmm. <laughs> another priest that's kind of questioning their faith, and blah blah blah. Um, and which, and again, you know, two really sucks, but <laughs> to <laughs> give it a little bit of credit, at least it did try to do oh, yeah. some different stuff, it just doesn't work. Honestly, that's the um, only positive point you can give to, is that it didn't just try and do the same thing yeah. again, right? <laughs> like, everything else is wrong, but at least it didn't mm. just do the same plot again. I mean, that's fair. Yeah. That's a fair statement. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I love that this is like, you know, it, it's bringing in all these, like, new ideas, and it's like, uh, yeah, it, it's you know, it, it's uh, like a procedural, like, you know, it's uh, bringing in, like, all this, like, serial killer stuff that is really interesting, and uh, and I'll give it props for this. Like, I usually don't like horror movies that kind of like, you know, bring in the cops and make it like all about like, you know, trying to solve like a, a case and stuff. But, uh, you know, like I, I think, you know, we talk a lot about the <laughs> that being like an aspect of the Saw movies that, you know, didn't really yeah. like is that they felt more like like kind of shitty, <laughs> like, um, you know, like cop dramas or, or whatever. But uh, but this it's done like really well. Like, you know, I think uh, you know, George C. Scott's characters are really you know, interesting, like, likable character, and it's, uh, you know, fun to solve them, and it is such, like, kind of a uh, wacky, like, case that, you know, it's interesting getting the breadcrumbs and, like, starting to figure stuff out, and, um, you know, you're talking about the the scenes where he's in the cell interviewing, um, you know, Karis slash, you know, the Gemini killer, Brad Dorf, whatever, Uh, like, those scenes are, like, so well done, like, they're, so creepy and then just the way you know he's just like so so like kind of slunk back into the shadows and then the you know the way it switches between like the bodies it's just really well done and like creepy like it's uh yeah like it's it's very captivating like watching those scenes yeah absolutely 
but those are really entertaining and mm-hmm. i think the reason why it works because you're talking about how like we don't typically mm-hmm. like when a horror movie focuses on a detective because it, that tends to put it into more thriller territory uh even yeah. if it, you know because obviously there's great detective hunt and serial killer movies on silence of alarms you know things like that but uh, I mean, uh, Zodiac is like one of the best movies ever made, in yeah. my opinion. But I actually wouldn't, but I wouldn't call that a horror movie, really. There's a couple of good right, yeah. tense scenes in it, and same with Silence of the Lambs, mm-hmm. but I don't really consider them horror movies in the same way. I think what yeah. makes this a horror movie is this, like, you know, like what, what he's ultimately uncovering is this force of evil that's so horrific and powerful that, you know, he can't just, like, you know, he can't arrest it. He can't stop it yeah. it's just a very different thing there's only one way you can ultimately stop it and it's a really tragic thing that he has to do to, to stop it you know and we'll get to that but mm-hmm. uh i think that's what makes it more of a horror movie is this like the sense of dread that kind of fills in is like this is not mm-hmm. like just a person that i'm hunting there's something more to this uh mm-hmm. so so that that and, works really well yeah and and then obviously like you know it's someone that uh you know the detective has like a personal relationship with like it's a very good friend of his so it's like you know, this added extra layer of, like, you know, the demon is now taunting the detective with, like, the face of, you know, this man that, you know, he was, like, really close to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I I really like the... Because, obviously, once we get to these scenes, um, after the first time he talks to uh, Patient X, Karis slash Brad Dourif, slash the Gemini Killer, <laughs> we have to... Let's just call him Patient X, right? Just That's the catch-all for him talking to the person in the in the room i, li- I like it because it sounds like so comic booky <laughs> <It does. laughs> um it's after the, so in the first scene he talks to him he, he does mention someone named amy you know as if that's going to be the next victim and that leads us to the scene with the nurse uh the, the scene that most people remember this movie for is this long shot looking down the hallway and you can see sort of the receptionist desk where the nurse sort of works but she's like making you know she hears a noise or something and she comes up towards the camera which is up near the back of the hallway and she goes into a patient's room. There's a slight noise, and then there's a really good like fake out jump scare, where it's just the patient sort of jumps up and starts complaining that she woke him up. But it's like really like the, this, you know, it's a really there's no like sting that accompanies it. It's just the sound of him sitting up and saying hey, and it's like oh shit, you know, you get a little jump scare. And then you think oh she's safe now because the the security guard or whoever is like next to her and comes out and talks mm-hmm. to her when she goes back to her reception desk. But then he eventually leaves and. <laughs> you know, this goes on for quite a while and the eventual payoff is she comes out of one of the rooms that's near the reception desk and then just as she does that like a figure dressed in white with these big surgical shears like follows her out from behind and the camera kind of like quickly just does a little zoom in mm-hmm. as as this happens it's, so <laughs> it's, it's a really great end to the scene but it's, it's you know it's a solid like it's not i mean it's not all one shot it does cut mm-hmm. to another shot when she goes into the first room so there is like a break yeah. in the middle uh shot wise but it's mostly this wide shot of the you know, looking down the hall. Um, that, I mean, the like, scene, which is mostly just those two shots, lasts, like, probably, like, five minutes, maybe. It it truly feels like it goes on forever, and, which, you know, I, I'm not saying that in a bad way. Like, I mean, some people will probably complain about it if you, you know, if you don't have any taste or something, like, you know, like, oh, it's so slow and boring. Uh, but, I mean, I, I think if you're people like us that do kind of crave, like, you know, uh, you know, something like this that can just show uh, someone really having patience to build a scene and to, you know, put you in the, into like, um, like, it, like it affects you, like, you know, because, uh, yeah, at, at first you're feeling nervous, you feel like something's going to happen, then, like, you kind of feel safe, and then, 
like you're saying like yeah like security card comes and then security guard leaves and like you you know you're going through these emotions of like oh man like i know something's gonna happen and like i'm feeling tense and scared and like okay now i feel like things might be a little better and then uh yeah and then it you know it cuts to yeah this is a great jump scare which uh it feels so well earned though like it's you know like a lot we complain about jump scares a lot but often it's because they're, they're very cheap and gimmicky and just come out of nowhere just to give you a shock like you know this is such a great example of something that uh you know it is taking the time to build up to it and it's not like you know just trying to like scare you out of nowhere it's you know uh i don't know it's well earned and well deserved <laughs> well there's a few i think there's a few things that go into that one there's mm -hmm. like no jump scares the entire movie up until that point that's true yeah so there's that i think two the scene goes on for a long time with a static shot so just the mm -hmm. filmmaking fills you with a sense that we're building to something like the re we're still sitting with mm -hmm. it the fact that we stick with the scene after that first sort of fake out jump stare means that eventually the real thing is going to happen and then yeah. the third thing which is uh, you know quite simple to see is that when she goes into this guy's room and we get the fake jump scare he's mad that she woke him up and she says you know you've done this on purpose i'm going to report you what's your name and she shows, shows her name tag and it says Amy something. And that's mm. the point where the audience goes, oh shit, that's what, yeah. <laughs> you know, patient X just said, you know, implied the mm. next victim would be. So that puts us on like, so even though we've had the fake out jump scare, the fake out jump scare has been used to confirm that this person is the one who's in danger. So then the rest mm. of the scene, you're watching it play out and you're still waiting for it. Um, and the visual of the person with the, the big ridiculous shears like i almost these big this big weapon made mm. me want just a slasher movie with a killer running around <laughs> with this thing because it, it was yeah. such a, a fun weapon and there's a great moment later with them uh that <laughs> it's it's a you know it's a, it's a just miss moment but i kind of like i want a movie <laughs> where, i want to see people get their heads chopped off with this thing this looks great yeah i actually that that's a very good point like yeah i feel like so caught up in the scene that yeah actually like forget to mention that the ending of it like is just such a great visual too like you know the big giant weapon and that's like the long flowy like you know hospital gown or shoe yeah, or whatever like gown, yeah. they're wearing it it just it looks great like you know it just it's just has this great creepy tense uh look to it and um and again it's just very interesting to be like oh uh you know, I, I'm assuming, again, that he's not necessarily, you know, he had the one other movie, but, you know, Blatty uh, doesn't really seem like, you know, that the movie making is necessarily like, you know, his world. But uh, he shows off so many great instincts uh, in this, you know, it's like, oh, I mean, maybe he's kind of a natural. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Quentin Tarantino, after all, didn't go to film school. He just worked in a video store for X number of years. So what's That's true? I think fills a lot of people with this false hope that they can just make movies because it's actually very hard, and then most people do oh, have, to, have to like learn a lot to be able to do it. But there are some people who just naturally I mean, take to it somehow. <laughs> yeah, and especially like with the Quentin Tarantino thing, I feel like every video store had at least one employee that thought they were going to be the next, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Tarantino. Like, oh, I also watch a bunch of movies. <laughs> I'd probably be good at this. And then the universe like got the last laugh by making video stores themselves extinct. So no yes. one else can ever think that ever again. <laughs> uh, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, no, like, so this is a great scene, obviously, and they find the body the next day, and it's it's all very morose. And in fact, the, mm. the doctor who showed Detective Kinderman this patient, you know, patient X, mm. uh, commits suicide as well uh, <coughs> the same night. They find his body the same time, pretty much, as they're at the crime scene with her. And... Mm. 
you know, it's just this idea that we, we find the second time he goes to talk to, to patient X, patient X explains that, oh, Kent, uh, the, the, the doctor was helping me. He was scared of me. You know, I, I made him, you know, uh, get me certain things. And obviously, Kinderman's like, well, does he, did he let you out? And obviously, he's not caught into the fact that he's just possessing people. He's just traveling into other people to commit the murders. But he's like, so who's letting you out of the room to go and commit the murders? And obviously, I think the audience by this point knows, like, he's not getting out of the cell. He's just, mm-hmm. you know, he's doing it from his cell. He's he's just taking control of others. But um, this is and where... It kind of makes, uh, and it kind of makes sense, too. Like, if you have, like, a hospital with, like, you know, people that are, like, comatose or whatever, like, you know, like, he mentioned something about, like, oh, it's so much easier when they're yeah, comatose, yeah. which is, like, an interesting idea being, like, oh, yeah, like, you know, if you can possess, like, um you know, a body that's basically, like, well, not you even, know, brain dead or... Yeah, not even just comatose. I think it's just, in general, patients who are, you know, their brains are kind of gone. You know, like, those yeah. types of patients, like, for whatever reason, they're easier to possess. They can't fight back. So, like, he just... He, he uses them as his toys, basically, as murder weapons. Which, again, like, is another interesting idea, like, you know, instead of... Yeah, it's like, what's the opposite of the first movie where one young girl is possessed? Uh, how about, like, a whole hospital full of, like, old <laughs> people that you, like, can't fight back? After all, we are Legion. We are many. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, like, I, I like that. So, during this conversation as well, the second time he speaks to patient X, Kinderman, of course, like, gets more provoking with him, and that prompts patient X to say, Oh, you've entered. You know, you've ju- you've just invited yourself into the dance, or so it was, it's a line like that <laughs> that implies that now they might go after him. Because that's the thing. What we probably didn't mention is that the first three victims um, were all connected to the original exorcism. It was you know the priest who was, was friends with Mary, and it was the priest who approved the exorcism that worked at the church. And uh, I think they said the the young boy was the son of the the person who like translated or figured out the tape of reagan speaking backwards mm. so it was all people connected to the original exorcism and that was like the like patient x was doing that like that was the price for getting this body to like do more crimes and murders with was mm. like you have to go after the people that you've pissed off i think he kept saying his master like you know my master yeah. <laughs> was livid i had to like do this for him so um but because he provokes him because kinderman provokes him in this scene it's like okay um now someone close to you and you know it was established earlier in the movie that we, you know, we meet kinderman's wife his mother-in-law and most importantly his daughter uh julie mm-hmm. who you know he realizes uh over the next couple of scenes because he also threatens a young boy he also gives this young boy's name so they kind of start to like protect <laughs> this young kid this young ginger kid who's in the hospital it's okay let's <laughs> let's put security on him let's make sure he's safe mm-hmm. and then he looks at the name tag on the nurse that's been in the movie a lot and he's like oh wait a minute Julie, that's my daughter's name. And he realizes that he's going to go after his daughter. So we get this scene towards the end of the movie where Kinderman's racing home to try and like save his daughter. And we've seen as this is playing out that another old woman in the hospital has become possessed. Uh, there's like a, one of the, the regular nurses has turned up dead and her outfit's been stolen. So one of the old people have walked out of the hospital dressed as a nurse and are making her way to his house to kill his daughter and you know kinderman gets home he comes in and everyone seems fine but then he goes into the kitchen and this old woman's sitting there and it's like she's just talking like she's one of the patients she's like confused she doesn't know where she is she's asking for help 
But then her voice changes to Brad Dourif and he says, <laughs> I just wanted you to see this. And the old woman pulls out the giant shears from a bag <laughs> next to her chair. And we get this like slow motion moment where she's going to like, because this is the daughter sitting at the table next to her. And she, she like goes and like the blades are actually around the daughter's neck. And it's actually the mother-in-law, the one with the fish, <laughs> who just grabs her daughter's head and pulls her back to save her. Um, Great th- timing and good thinking. <laughs> yeah, it looks a little bit weird as a shot. There's something about the motion it's... of it that looks a bit weird to me. I like the moment. Yeah. Like, I think the actual like the the, the the near miss with the blades is a really fun, like tense moment. But the actual visual of the head being pulled away it does look a bit weird. Yeah, the, I actually I didn't really have time, but I did want to go back and rewatch it because, yeah, there was like some, I don't know, like uncanny valley or, or something this uh, to it that just didn't really like seem quite right. Um, I, I don't know if it was a shutter speed thing or or maybe it was um maybe for safety's sake they sort of did it twice and like put them together so that there was no mm-hmm. danger of i don't know like uh if anything though i would suggest it's maybe something to do with like uh like because they've slowed it down maybe they shot it at a frame rate that makes yeah. it look weird when they slowed mm-hmm. i don't know like if there was something just a little off about it yeah but um still like it's uh you know doesn't really ruin the scene or anything though it is just like a little <laughs> weird yeah no no the scene's really good um so here's the interesting thing is that the basically the, the the old woman's got super strength here and she, she she throws kinderman up against the wall and she's really strong but then she's kind of like reacts like something's bad's happened to her right or or you know uh, the gemini killer reacts in her body as if something bad's happened and she kind of just kind of collapses in the scene and the implication in the theatrical cut of the movie is that what's interrupted like his possession is that this other priest uh, is coming to his cell and that's kind of like the interruption he, he has to like come back to his body to mm-hmm. deal with this priest who's coming to try and exercise him which mm-hmm. is it, it works well enough in the movie you can kind of tell that this priest because mm-hmm. it's, it's the priest who works in the chapel and the the hospital right that they that he's mentioned in one scene earlier on and then we see him a couple of times on his own just like reading up on exorcisms and stuff but he mm-hmm. never interacts with any of the other characters in the movie He's just kind of on his own separate scenes. So you can kind of tell that he was maybe added after the fact. Like they, they, they sort of wrote these extra scenes, but he never interacts with anyone else outside of the, the actual exorcism scene at the end, which they obviously reshot to include him and all mm. that stuff. But he actually tries to come into the room and exorcise him. And uh, I, I don't necessarily hate this idea. Like, Yeah, not, yeah, not, it, not do I. I, I. I Honestly, like it made sense to me in the moment that the reason why... Yeah. He, you know the killer's interrupted when he's like attacking the family is because mm-hmm. there's like a another threat like local to him yeah. that, that made sense in the moment to me i i don't know how it plays mm-hmm. out in the director's cut without that interruption mm-hmm. and why it doesn't why, why she doesn't just kill everyone <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah so mm-hmm. um i mean the exorcism seems fun enough you know like there's uh the, the book explodes uh he get uh you know he is put on the ceiling and he sort of tries to like the, the priest tries to peel off the ceiling so you see some of his He's skin like ripping stuck, off yeah it's, it's actually the most gory part of the whole movies this uh yeah. like and maybe that's like part of the okay this is maybe losing the nuance a little bit and it's a little mm. overly like you know grotesque and cinematic for the sake of spectacle but i mean as a horror movie fan i, d- I did enjoy it <laughs> for what it yeah, was no, look cool. <laughs> you know so that's what it is uh, the priest seems to die here and fails the exorcism 
and then that's when George C. Scott, uh, doctor, uh, doctor, Detective Kinderman <laughs> comes in with his gun, and his plan is just to shoot shoot Patient X in the head. He's like, okay, yeah. if, the, if the only way to deal with this, like, I'm never going to be able to arrest you for this. I'm never going to be able to prove that you're doing this or feel safe if you're coming after my family members. I'm just going to shoot yeah. you in the head. Uh, but sure enough, like he's able to just like put up Kinderman against the wall with his you know his powers, right? So. Kinderman's like sort of in a crucifixion pose up against the wall, and he feel you get this sort of wave effect going over him. And Patient X is like monologuing, of course, uh, as you will. And there's a whole like horrific thing here where Father Carras is on a cross, and like uh, lightning starts striking inside the room, and eventually makes a big hole in the floor where Father Carras is on a cross, and it comes up through the ground with all these hands around him. And it's I think it's some of the victims that are around him, like some of the faces. But uh, it's this like big moment, but it's not really there. It cuts back to just like they're in the room, and it's just Kinderman's up against it's the cool wall. Visual, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very honestly, the lighting in the room did feel quite unique. It felt like they put a lot of effort into that effect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, given that that was entirely seemingly a reshoot that wasn't in the original version of the movie, like they put a lot of effort into it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll, give it I'll give it that. It had some pizzazz. Like I liked it way more than the house like falling apart at the end of Exorcist Two. Oh yeah. <laughs> It felt more unique and more interesting to me. I don't know. Um, but uh, just as he's about to kill Kinderman, though, um, the priest who was trying to exercise him before is still alive, and he grabs his his cross that's on the floor and starts, you know, saying more stuff. Like, okay, I command you, I command you. He's like, you know, Father Karas, fight him, fight him, Karas. You're in there. You can fight him. And sure enough, uh, Karas sort of, like, fights him and gains control for a second and immediately just says to kinderman shoot me now do it now and he shoots him he dies <laughs> you know um he sort of still mutters something and then he sh- the final shot's in the head uh and in the end of the movie at least in the theatrical cut is just uh like you know kinderman uh and he's like sort of not his partner but like there's another cop that's kind of with him occasionally in the movie or at Kar- karasi's grave uh, but he's finally freed him. Now he's no longer trapped. So it's kind of sad because he has to kill this guy who was his friend all these years ago. Yeah. But it's also, he's freeing him from this torment of like having to like witness all these brutal murders. So he, he set him free effectively at, at the end of the movie. Uh, so it, it's a big bombastic ending, you know? Yeah, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it works. Like it's very, very easy to get caught up in it. It's all very you know striking visually and um yeah it you know it works as a you know resolution to like all the stuff that we had you know going throughout the movie <laughs> like you know not really many many other places to go yeah i really so one of the things that we're not really mentioned yet is at the start of the movie kinderman uh is he's, he's not a man of faith you know he, he meets up with mm. you know uh, father dyer to go to the movies right and we, we, he kind of has this conversation with him where he's talking about uh, how like some of the bad things that are happening, like this murder that he's just like been put on. Like the god's kind of a shithead if he does this sort of thing, right? That's not his, his exact wording, but that's how I'm <laughs> paraphrasing. And at the end of the movie, when he's up against the wall in the crucifix pose, and uh, you know the Gemini killer is like, "Hey, have I have I like helped your belief? Have I like made you believe?" and he has this monologue, Kinderman, where he says, yeah, you have made me believe. I believe in murder. I believe in death. I believe in infidelity. He basically lists all these things that go on in the world. And he never quite, mm. like, becomes this, like, man of God. You know, he never does mm. that. He, he 
he's kind of true to who he was in the first place um and he's just here to stop bad things um i, mm. I thought that was an interesting take because i think especially given the first movie's all you know largely about karash well, re- regaining his faith right i that's what i was gonna ask because like yeah the one of the big sticking points in the, in the first movie review is you know to, to kind of put it bluntly like you know you, you weren't crazy about how churchy it kind of <laughs> ends up getting so i'm curious that if this worked a little better for you it's, it's a very broad way of putting that yes but it was a bit too churchy <laughs> for me no i i, I kind of did appreciate that i appreciate it, it wasn't like him saying that no, none of this stuff it's, it's not that none of this doesn't exist or i don't or I, I i'm saying it definitely doesn't exist he's just kind of like i believe in all these bad things and i've i've, mm-hmm. I've been continuing to try to stop them and I'm always going to keep fighting to stop them. It's like, you know, it's that kind of... Because the idea here, at the, at the end of the movie, he, he shoots Karis in the face to stop this killer and to stop the, the spread of this evil the demons kind of unleashed upon the world. Because um, that's that's the interesting thing here, is that the demon from the first movie, Pazuzu, if you, you know, to give him the name, he's never actually in this movie. Like, this no. is... You know, he, he's he's put, put it into motion. He gave the Gemini killer this body. He gave him this power to do what he's doing. But he's not actually around in the movie. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's quite interesting. But the, the and that's the kind of a, a you know an annoying thing we were talking about in the second movie where it makes him feel like this Saturday morning cartoon yeah, villain. Yeah. If he's always getting beaten and but being like, oh, I'll be back next week. Absolutely. <laughs> but you know, he, he so he kills Father Caris to like set him free, which is obviously kind of nice in its own right. But this isn't him. <laughs> you know, it, it, you know, it's, it's, he's freeing him. He's taking him away from his torment, all that stuff. But what what I think is quite of interesting about it from the perspective of like like who he is as a character, Kinderman, is that he he's doing this for that reason. He's he's doing it to stop him from hurting anyone else, and he's doing it to sort of set his friend free. He's doing what he thinks he can do to accomplish good, to fight back evil. But he never like you know turns to the church. He never like starts to really believe in all this stuff. And even if this stuff kind of proves mm-hmm. to an extent that it is real. He never like becomes someone else as a result of that. He's very kind of uh, determined, and he he sticks to his guns, if you will. Um, I thought it was interesting. It's actually, yeah, it's actually kind of refreshing because I feel like we've seen the story a million times where, uh, you know, usually it's a person of faith, but you know, it's like someone who, yeah, doesn't believe in God anymore, or you know, has had some type of tragedy, so they you know, they lost their faith and then, you know, the end of the movie is regaining that and then, you know, essentially using the power of faith to kind of overcome whatever evil entity it is. And uh, it's actually kind of nice to have a movie where it's like, no, like, I don't need to do that. Like, you know, I can, uh, I can still defeat you, like, on my own, you know, and it's not just like a big, uh, you know, it ended up being like, you know, a big advertisement, you know, for how great God is or whatever. It's just like, <laughs> Uh, no, uh, yeah, I'm just doing it I myself, mean, baby. Yeah, because it's Father Karras who's able to fight and regain control for a minute. It's, it's his own personal will of fighting back for a second mm-hmm. that opens up the opportunity to just kill him. Mm-hmm. And then it's, you know, Kinderman killing him out of the, the kindness, if, if you want to call it that, or, uh, <laughs> you know, whatever. But like, mm-hmm. you, you can kind of attribute the victory if you, you know, and again, it's a very bittersweet victory, obviously, there's nothing really happy about yeah. it, but it's kind of this bittersweet victory that comes out of many things and not all of it can be attributed to just the power of, of church or God. Um, mm. And it's very, it's very interesting counterpoint to the first exorcist. And I'm, um, yeah. you know, it, again, it's not like the main character 
rescinds it at the end or, or says it had nothing to do with it. But the movie very much says this character is in the world and he doesn't have to become someone who like talks the word of God and believes in God mm-hmm. and talks about the church and becomes like this very, very Catholic person to to fight this evil. He's, he's a soldier for good in the world and that's all that matters. It doesn't matter that he's not uh, going to church every week and uh, yeah. devoutly believing in things. He's still just a soldier for good in the world for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I thought it was kind of interesting. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he's kind of a fascinating character, honestly. Uh, again, again, much like the Changeling, uh, George C. Scott, he's a very <laughs> unconventional protagonist for... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a horror movie, but that, that's twice he's he's done a pretty good job of it, and it works. The, the movie's arguably more interesting because that he's this older man going through the story yeah. as opposed to someone else. Yeah, and I think it helps a lot that you know, Blatty like clearly has you know some type of a, a, like a affinity or affection for this character because uh, yeah, like you know, I I remember um i i never read legion which actually maybe i should at some point that kind of sounds interesting mm-hmm. but i did read the original exorcist and um yeah like the detective did feel like a you know bigger part in it and you could kind of tell it was like seemed like one of those characters that the author just really liked so he's just kind of thrown in there like oh yeah i like this cop that loves movies <laughs> and um so yeah I, I mean i feel like yeah part of that is he must have just really liked this character so you know he was able to kind of come up with this like you know pretty good story for him yeah, and you know, obviously, I had so much like plot stuff to explain. We kind of glossed over some of the quieter moments that came along with these moments, like when he discovers a dream sequence. <laughs> well, yeah, oh yeah, it's a good point. I was, well, what I was going to say before we get to that <laughs> is he's got like a when he first finds out that his friend, Father uh, Dyer, has died in the hospital. You know, mm-hmm. the, there's actual, there's genuine emotion, like him seeing the body and like lifting up sure. the sheet and looking at him, like. There's a lot of weight yeah. to that scene. It, it feels like it's hitting mm-hmm. them and this evil of the world's really starting to get to them. Um, you know, and I, I, I guess that's the other thing that works with the Gemini Killer for me is that the evil in the movie is actually just a human being. Yeah, it's a human being mm-hmm. that's been given more power, but the idea that the evil in the world is, exists anyway, and you can read that, you know, that's in a, a sort point, of biblical yeah. sense of like, mm-hmm. uh, all the evil people in the world come from a place of evil anyway, which comes from the mm-hmm. demons and satan and whatever else uh, or you can read it as no it's all these people that become evil in the world that create the idea of evil and then that manifests and so on and so on but mm. regardless that's also a very interesting idea but yes the weird dream sequence you want to talk about which is <laughs> the train station for like the afterlife where it's like angels behind the counter mm. and george c scott's like wandering around and it's mostly people in hospital beds who are clearly dying mm-hmm. who are like basically like being checked in on before it's time for them to to move on yeah, it's just super bizarre in a movie that's like, I don't know, like, I guess feels like somewhat grounded uh, for all like the crazy stuff that's going on to all of a sudden just have this like one scene where he's essentially like in heaven and just walking around and like, you know, these big white, like cloudy kind of, I don't know if there are any actual clouds, but you know, it's like big and white, like, mm. you know, when, you know, they, they depict heaven, <laughs> it's like people with angel wings and stuff. It's just... uh yeah, I mean, I don't have much to say, but it was just kind of very striking to... It's a well scene. Like, weird little part. I wonder if that was in the uh, director's cut. Like, if that was in the original. If this was, or if this was more jazzing up to try and make it a bit more spectacle. Because the other thing that stuck out to me, which uh, I I did like this scene, but again, it's like an otherwise very grounded movie for most of it, 
um, mm-hmm. when he's in like the old folks part of the hospital, and it's just before he finds the nurse's dead body, uh, the first old woman who seemingly was used to commit the murder in the hospital earlier on uh, mm-hmm. is like crawling around the ceiling. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, and he never sees her. He he he's he's unaware, but she's like crawling around the ceiling, looking down, like 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 she's all evil. Um, this was the old woman that uh, you know seemingly was used to kill Father Dyer earlier in the film, mm-hmm. uh, but it's a different old woman who's killed the nurse and is left wearing her outfit to go and kill uh, Kinderman's family, mm-hmm. or at least his daughter, mm-hmm. anyway. So, yeah. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of memorable mm-hmm. little scenes. Um, but it's also very like there's also a lot of quiet moments with him like researching and going and reading some of the because like at one point uh, patient X quotes something and he kind of recognizes it and it turns out to be from the Exorcist like part of the Bible <laughs> or <laughs> or that was the Bible but the, uh, something to do with exorcisms like so, something you right, say right. in the exorcisms uh, so yeah yeah it's an interesting movie yeah with some really well directed moments uh, some even even the stuff that feels added on for the theatrical cut or we know is added on for the theatrical cut. I don't necess- necessarily think I dislike it. I think it works well enough in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, maybe if I could see like the, the, the original vision in a you know a decent format I would be maybe I'd like it more. I don't know. But it yeah it, it's hard to say because I'm sure you know I'd I'd want to side with like you know the director usually but like um yeah, w- without being able to see it, and just the fact that, like, well, <laughs> the version we got is pretty damn good. It's kind of hard to, yeah, really, like, be like, well, I, yeah, I'm already very satisfied. I, I don't really need a, a bunch of other stuff, and uh, I don't know. I, I just feel very burnt out, because there's, like, you know, a time when, uh, you know, like, when DVDs were really popular, so they, like, were putting out so many, like, director's cuts, or then... Mm. Yeah, then it just got to the point where it's just like the unrated cut or whatever, and it's it's very seldom like better. <laughs> like, you know, uh, a lot of times it's basically just like, oh yeah, it's the same movie, but we just threw in a bunch of extra scenes, <laughs> and they're usually like, okay, there's a reason why you know these were cut or whatever. Yeah, there's some um, notable examples where the director's cut is the better version, but mm-hmm. it's yeah, there's you know there's a lot of just like we wanted to release a second version of the movie, so here's yeah. a longer cut, however. Interestingly, in this case, the director's cut is shorter than the theatrical cut. Oh, interesting. So about yeah. six minutes shorter, yeah. Because, hmm. uh, well, the entire exorcism at the end is gone, so... Oh, that's fair. That's, 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 that's for a start, that's gone, and then there's some other things that are switched around. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe one day I'll watch the director's cut with the, the crappy reinserted footage <laughs> to, see, to see if it's... Uh, see True. what it's like, but... I'm intrigued at the very least, so... Yeah, but hey, uh, very interesting film. Well directed, yeah. really memorable sequences in there. Uh, good cast and a very unconventional cast because it is you know an older man and it's uh, you know it's not young people <laughs> for a change. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, interesting. So, but there you go. I, I guess we'll uh, we'll rate the movie, Tim. What are you giving Exorcist Three? Um, yeah. So this is one that I, I feel like I want to. Uh, I want to watch more because I feel like, like, like I said, like I've only seen it a, a few other times, and it's one of those ones where I do feel like maybe I, I get a little more appreciative, like each time I watch it, especially like talking about it for about you know a little over an hour. Uh, that you know, there's a lot of you know reminding of like you know even though I just watched it, but just being reminded of like 
oh yeah that scene was really cool and they're like oh yeah it is cool how they tie it all together um yeah i mean i'm really uh impressed with this movie i think um i don't know for me it's really hard to to say if it's better than the first one um but i because you know the freaking is a i mean i i think you know bloody kills it uh, on this movie but you know freaking is a really damn good director uh and that first one is damn good but you know if someone says that they prefer this to the original like i don't know it's not shocking to me like there's a lot of really good stuff in this it's not like a a crazy uh, opinion to have like if someone said they liked the second one better than the first one like (laughs) should probably be locked up (laughs) somewhere um but yeah i think i'm i was kind of debating between like an 8.5 or a 9 uh and i don't know i i maybe i'm just feeling a little generous but i think i'll give it the 9 it's uh whoa yeah it's a really like you know and especially considering like the fact that it's about like an hour and 50 minutes or so it feels like kind of a, a brisk movie like i know it's just very easy to get caught up in it the there's a lot of like just really good well done scenes and very memorable uh scares and there's just like a lot of creepy atmosphere and I, and again it's just I, I don't know i'm impressed with a lot of it like the story uh you know I, I think is cool like the you know actors and performances are all well done and the directing is surprisingly well done like yeah it's not really like a lot of like super big like obvious flaws or anything uh in the movie so yeah i'm always happy <laughs> and get get the chance to watch this well uh I'm going to sound not as positive now because I'm not going to be about nine. I'm not that daft. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, no, I, I think I think I'm happy to give it an eight, which is mm. close to what I gave the original. I either the same or maybe I gave the original an eight point five. I can't I can't remember off the top of my head, but mm-hmm. I think it's a really solid movie with some really a really interesting premise and the mythology that it kind of adds to the Exorcist. Uh, while does take away a little bit of mystique is it it's all very in- exciting to me because it, it 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 becomes more like a mythology and the, the sense of like a movie mythology and mm-hmm. it, but it's still kind of like off and otherworldly and the idea of the presence in the first movie being pissed that it got defeated and <laughs> being petty and given like a, a an evil person from earth this like chance to continue to be awful uh mm-hmm. through like the character from the first movie, I actually think that's a fascinating idea. Uh, mm-hmm. That's the part that makes it like if you just told me, "Oh, this is a movie where so like a killer's possessing old people to commit murders," I'm like, "Okay, that could be entertaining," but I don't know if it necessarily be <laughs> that good from like a like a, a drama point of view. But I think sure. the motivations behind it in this, and ultimately, like the main character struggling to deal with it and having to kill him by the end to put him down. Uh, that does add a bit of weight to it, so. Mm. 8 out of 10. Now give me a slasher movie with that weapon, please. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> please and thank you. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, there we got The Burning, which has got some great... Uh, the Burning was my first thought. Yeah, that, that's, got, that's, that's got shears, but they're not these big, weird, like, surgical-looking shears. Would you settle for maybe playing a little bit of clock tower with that satisfy the itch <laughs> i don't know i don't know if i'd enjoy playing clock tower it's all running away from things but <laughs> but who knows maybe maybe i'll give clock tower a try at some point 
but that's been Exorcist 3. Uh, definitely a major uplift from Exorcist 2. And, mm-hmm. well, I don't expect either of the prequels to be as bad as Exorcist 2. I've got a feeling I'm not <laughs> going to be super hot on them, so... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh that won't be obviously next episode, but that'll be soon. So come back for Exorcist the Beginning and Exorcist Dominion. Or or mm-hmm. no, it's Dominion prequel to the Exorcist. I don't know, it's something like that. That's, yeah, that's not about right. Whatever. The titles will be correct when we start the review. Don't worry. Because <laughs> we'll have watched it by then. But we're going to watch both versions and talk about them in the same episode. So uh look forward mm-hmm. to that. Uh, but yeah, this has been Screams After Midnight. This has been our talking about Exorcist 3. Thank you very much for watching and listening. We always appreciate it. You can support all the content uh, and the show by going over to patreon.com slash TV and supporting us for as little as $3 per month and getting access to the back catalogue of bonus episodes and even more streams, which is a monthly show. Uh, they're on pause right now, but there's a back catalogue and they'll be back uh, when Tim's back from paternity leave uh, mm. later in the year. So go and have a look and see if you're interested. And you also get bonus content, of course, for other shows from Elfuzz Movies. Uh, so please do check it out. Of course, you can like, subscribe, ding the bell for notifications, and leave some comments and all that good stuff. All of it does help as well. And of course, uh, rate the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from. Uh, give us five stars and a nice review because uh, it does help. Uh, so all that's left, I will thank our Patreon producers for the month. Thank you very much to Tyler Hess and DePalacius, David Sharp, Bordenow, Christopher Moy, David Brown, and Al Tribesman. Thank you very much to you all. So, yeah, there you go. That's Exorcist 3. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I leave it open for 10 minutes. He just sort of stares at me blankly like I'm <laughs> being unreasonable. Mm. I'm very tired. <laughs> well, let's wrap it up then. This has been Screams After Midnight. <laughs> Thank you once again for watching or listening. We always appreciate it. Keep watching scary movies, and we will see you next time. <laughs>